0: Love, <clears throat> love uh, listening to that story. It really I saw it earlier in the first service, and it does. It grabs my heart every time I see it, and it reminds me of so many people that are either at Indian Bible College as students, or so many of the native friends and acquaintances that we have now that have at least shared in part of that story that um, Amy experienced. And uh, so my heart goes out to. To them, and yet the amazing grace that God is touching their lives with as well, just like ours, in ways that maybe are more vivid because of the need being so so clear and so um, prominent in, in that society and culture. So anyways, I praise God for students like Amy that we get to serve and to work with. Um, Gunnar introduced us before, and I think most everyone knows us, and it's a huge honor to be with you guys today. That Gunnar's sharing this up here pains him. Did anyone else hear that? <laughs> I did open the Bible a couple of times, so no, I hear you. So it's 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 huge to be with you all today. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna share a little bit about maybe a lot of it, a lot about what God's been doing, what He's led us to. Um, but I hope that there's some challenge from His Word too. I, I t- the, the topical teaching got to be careful care- careful of, so you know check it. You know, be good Brethrens. Take it back to the Word, to the greater context. But just I really hope it's a blessing to your heart, as it has been to mine. Just the journey that my family and I have been on these last couple of years, and now the place that we're in now. It's really I think it's a lot for our, definitely for our growth and the journey that he's he's growing us throughout. So, so we are with um, Indian Bible College, and um, I don't know if you can see that well enough, but uh, I'm I'm really getting blinds. I don't I can't find my glasses, so. I have a hard time even seeing that on the nice screen right there, so I might have to get out of the way and talk over my shoulder. But um, we're not in northern Arizona. We are in New Mexico, so that's deceiving. Um, The main campus for the Bible College that we're working with, where Amy just graduated from, is in Flagstaff, Arizona, northern Arizona. But we are in uh, Albuquerque. And one of the hats that we're wearing is to work with this school and just develop, and we'll get into a little bit more, develop more of an extension studies program where we can take some of this training to the local churches and to reservation locations where honestly this kind of training, um, any kind of biblical training for spiritual leadership, for biblical ministry is really, really tough to come by. And so we want to engage the needs that are there in Native America, and not just ask students to come to us, but really to try to take this stuff to them. So we're excited about that. That's why we're in Albuquerque. We love Albuquerque. I love San Diego. I love vacationing, and, or coming back. This hasn't really been a vacation. It keeps me up too late. I am so tired. Like, dude. But we love coming back. It's so good to come home to San Diego. But we do, we love, um, we love Albuquerque. We know God has us there. And uh, so the the multifacetedness of what we're doing, I just, I'll explain because Gunnar mentioned WIM also. It's Western Indian Ministries, and we're also with them trying to start up, restart um, a department that focused on leadership development and really, like I said, bringing these kinds of resources that like Indian Bible College offers to the needs um, within Native America, sometimes on the reservations and sometimes within an urban context. So, we're working with WIM. We're working with um, IBC, not the root beer company, but uh, Indian Bible College. And, uh, and so it's a really neat more partnership. So a lot of the stuff we'll go over today is really one and the same for both groups. Um, and it's, it really is a huge privilege to be a part of both. And it's a real huge privilege to have even like some natives here. So if Ismerelda and Georgie, right? So, if you st- so they have the right to throw stuff at me like any time during this time. Only them, nobody else, so, because <laughs> I'm new at this, and I am I am Anglo and greenhorn, and a, yes, so, the gringo here, so anyways, but it's going to be, yeah, it's exciting to represent so many people that we love that God's led into our lives um, while we've been in Albuquerque the last, uh, what, year and a half? Yeah, year and a half now. So let's just go through some facts and statistics to help you give some context um to what we're dealing with when i say native america and what our focus is so why indian bible college and and this would be the same for western indian ministries why do we exist what's the point i mean they're all americans there's no differences there's no different issues really are there and so just to give some context on some of the needs let's just go ahead and start through these guys thank you great oh is that the right i forget was that the first one That's okay. No worries. No worries. I'm throwing everyone off anyways, so. Okay, so again, just to give some context. um, So uh, natives are one of the fastest growing demographics uh, proportionately in the U.S. Um, I don't know if you can read it, but the 2000 census predicted a 55% growth um, by uh, 2050 compared to a 9% increase for whites, um, which is, I mean, proportionately, again, there's pockets of natives all over this continent, and the growth rate is huge. In fact, some tribal groups that were almost extinct 50 years ago are having explosions population-wise on their little reservation locations. So, it's a it's a need that's very and you all know in this in this setting with the reservations that are near it's easy to see how even even when you're right next door sometimes what's going on right next door is the most hidden thing to you and I think that's very true for most Americans um, <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> Native reservations are spiritually dark and troubled places and yes we could go on all day about and I I could get taught too about traditional practices and beliefs and yes anti-biblical, ungodly, but I think a lot of the issues on the reservation is the reservation system itself. Like a lot of the social issues we see are actually from the system that, um, as well-meaning as it might have been, were created by even our government. And I think it has just escalated some of these moral and social issues that it's very easy to point the finger, but I think we look to the wrong source of the problem sometimes. I'm a little bit biased about that now. So, <laughs> um, but one of the one of the um, the the, the, the uh, crises that is on the reservation right now, all over the country, and you might have read this online, newspapers, magazines, is the suicide rate the, within Native America. Not just on the reservations, the national, the Native um, rate of suicide, especially among minors, is four times the national rate. That's consistent nationwide. And in Pine Ridge, um, South Dakota, just a few months ago in the I believe it was the month of January, they had seven suicides in the month of January um, between the ages of twelve and eighteen okay and that Pine Ridge has five thousand people in it, so that 's happening all over in fact, in Winder Rock, Arizona, the border towns on uh, the New Mexico side, on the Navajo reservation in the march in the month of March, we had f- um, four to five suicides among minors. And um, that's, it's just everywhere. It's a, it's a huge crisis. And Albuquerque itself has a huge suicide location because of, the, because of the issues that are going on that overlap with Native America. So huge problems. And that's not even getting into the spiritual issues that are causing that symptom. <clears throat> the most effective way, I love this, the most effective way to minister to a group of people, whether it be Mongolia or Native America or Valley Center among a bunch of cowboys or whoever else, <laughs> is to train and excuse me, is to train the nationals to reach and lead their own. And and that's something that's been so cool to see God give a similar passion in Mongolia to not think that we're doing work for someone else, but to really equip and empower and encourage the whole global body of Christ to be a part of the work, to not just have it be a certain ethnicity or a certain social group or a certain part of the church that's actually equipped to serve God and to know him more. And that's exciting because I think Native America has been, has been shelved for a long time in terms of being a valid and very viable um, tool in God's hands to reach the world, not just Native America, but beyond the reservation, which we're excited about. Native people have more doors open to them for the gospel around <clears throat> the world than any other people group. And I think specifically in the U.S. context, as a, as people groups go, um, it, it's not only the people group that have the opportunities, but it's the people group that maybe don't know that there's opportunities for them to pursue and to walk through. And that, that segues um, from the last point, is that training and reproducing— <sighs> not just people that are like us, but other people to reach their own, but then beyond is so important. And it's built into this whole idea of disciple-making, of discipleship that makes IBC really unique, I think. And we're going to get into some of that heart-level stuff that needs to be transformed for a real lasting work to take place among any people. And the next one... um, The mission for the, the Bible College is Indian Bible College exists to disciple, which I love that it's discipleship first, and educate. There's a place for information and education, indigenous native Christians, for lifetimes of biblical ministry and spiritual leadership to their people and the world. You can go on. Thank you. Is this water? I'm good. Oh, nice. And these are just some facts about the school, just to give you more context. Um, IBC is... <clears throat> serious about life transformation not just bible information and and the bible is primary there a huge emphasis on proper bible interpretation and relevant application but knowing that it's got to go be beyond filling our minds and actually changing our hearts as believers specifically and that's a huge it's a huge focus for the school it has 150 graduates in 57 years which again is Minute compared to most schools, but it's, a, it's the largest that we know of within a Native context. Has um, <clears throat> these different uh, degree programs and ministry minors, a lot of opportunities. In other words, is the only non-denominational Bible college for Native Americans in the U.S., which is a cool dynamic. Has all of its full-time staff raise their own support to keep costs accept- accessible, which we love, like no debt, nothing like that. These these students go all the way through and they're ready to really move on to some of these reservation situations where like you know, there's no jobs and so' are very few so they have I mean to load debt on top of what they're walking into is is suicide so um anyways it's a it's a neat dynamic behind that part of the school as well and the campus had thirty two full-time students recently um, uh, and forty five total that's part time as well and it has students that represent about Twelve distinct tribal groups um, throughout the United States, and actually not just the United States, throughout the Americas. Um, this is really cool. We actually have a Quechua student from Peru. He knows four languages, and he's, he's studying um, biblical studies and theology in English. And the kid is just spiritually mature, too, and he has a heart for his own people, which is like, ah, uh, just gives me, gives me chills. And that's what we're, that's what we're wanting to see, and it, way beyond even our little southwest quadrant of Native America the the limits the, the sky is the limit um and then training students for dis, uh, excuse me it's training students to be disciple makers and again just focusing on the um the application of information like again there's a place for the information but really what does that mean how does that play out in life and ministry is a huge huge um um, unique aspect to the school, and, and to WIM as well. Very, very similar in that way. Okay, thank you. Outward to this one. Yeah, we have a picture of the staff. Pretty cool. We have people from all over the globe that are on staff, from uh, Germany this next year, hopefully, from uh, um, Hawaii, an Okinawan couple. Uh, we have Canadians. We have an Aussie. We have some natives. But as you see, there's very few natives on staff, and that's something we really want to change we need way more of a native presence on the staff at the school. And Amy actually is, she just graduated. Um, she's going to be an intern this next year. And so she will be a staff member and hopefully will be groomed to take over um, some, some specific role on campus, which is really exciting because it's, it, it's very hard to come by um, the native staff. So we're super thrilled about that. And school picture from last year. So six years ago, there were only five students in the school. And this is, the, this is the class picture, the school picture, um, this last semester. Thir- we had 13 graduates alone this last semester, which is huge. I mean, the school is almost dead, so we're thrilled about that too. And the Indian Bible College vision is um, to raise up laborers <clears throat> to see Native America cease to be the mission field and the Native church mobilized to send missionaries all over the world. And we've talked about that already, but Just a a really unique dynamic to the groups we're working with. Um, There's a lot of needs on the reservation, yes, among their own people. But there's a lot of needs that, like we saw, natives can reach into at least as well, if not better, than non-natives. And we really want to equip for that job to be done well and right, including the native church. Okay. And the current initiatives, just stuff that's going... On right now, um, on campus, there's a building project. There's a few different building projects they want to start because of the students that are coming in, which is exciting. But this is where we kind of fit in. I only mentioned this because this is kind of how we connect, because we are kind of weird. Like we have, we wear a lot of different hats. But how we connect to the school is the Extension Studies Program, this Christian Ministry Certificate, and we've taken six of the core classes that the school offers. And we 're tr- in the process of actually making them reproducible in different locations, so we can have different teachers go to different sites and teach these classes. Some of it can be done online, but everything to some degree has to be done live to keep that personal dynamic um, <clears throat> teacher student relationship intact. and so um, we 're wanting more native like pastors and leaders also to be involved in this, not just our school. So um, that's, that's a unique dynamic that we're plugging into and helping with. And it's, it, it's going towards accreditation because that is an opportunity to be incarnational and really reach out to Native young people where that really matters. And we pray that that will draw so many more because it will allow them, whether they go into a local church context of ministry like pastoring or actually in the workforce, they can actually use these credits In other places that they go. Um, So, and there's a vocational focus as well, just equipping people, especially for going overseas um, and on the reservation, few jobs, got to be creative, all that. Um, Having a a, a course that actually equips these students, which is really exciting, um, that is brand new. um, Speaking of the Extension Studies, it was really cool. Last summer we had our first Extension Studies course in Albuquerque, the first ever, yeah, within the city, and I believe it was the first in New Mexico, and we only had three students, but uh, even though there were only a few students, God did really big things, and we were very, very thankful for just willing hearts to be taught and to be shaped, and they were just thrilled, like super excited about studying God's word, um, diving into accurately interpreting and understanding it so that they could relevantly apply it in their contexts. Um, it was super cool, and it was a father 's son, which was really neat, like that was awesome to see that 's really rare anywhere, but I think especially in Native America right now, that was really sweet to see and they 're all back in a local church context, um, serving the Lord right now all right let's um, let 's just look at the word um, to i hope it it's an example of what we're trying to focus on when I talk about the discipleship focus, the disciple-making focus of the school and whim and just what God's laid on our hearts. Um, and you can look at the the passage there. We'll just kind of go through this quickly, but um, this is not a great Gunner or Ben exposition of these passages. So again, go back, go back to the Word and compare it and... Um, Break apart what i 'm saying but i really I really am confident about some of these things that that uh, are, are being taught that we want to focus on in the area of discipleship and we see this common thread throughout god 's word um, the great the great commission in matthew twenty eight 18 through twenty it 's very well known we all know it very familiar with it in fact, I know Pastor gunner especially in the past has taught this passage very very well i think I totally agree with him how there's there 's an idea in this text that brings out making disciples as the main thought the main thrust of of uh, matthew 's or jesus 's words of matthew 's thoughts and um, that 's because it 's the main verb in the in the sentence, but these other ones then follow they connect with making disciples they complement this verb to make disciples and so at, so making disciples you then as you are, sorry, make disciples. I can't read that. Sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to go like this. Um, make disciples as you are going, baptizing, teaching, and to know Jesus' commands. And it's kind of a trick question because we've used this in the past, and this is from a class. But I, I don't know. Do you see the do you see the trick in that last in that last point? Making disciples as we do these things it's not to know it's not to know Jesus's commands it's to obey his commands and knowing is a starting point for sure it's part of it but but it's not the sum total of making disciples as we go as we go about making disciples we do these things but it's actually to obey his commands and and that's really key when we talk about obedience we're going to define it a little bit more because there's a lot that's connected to obedience that is sometimes kind of negative. It doesn't have the, um, the power behind it that it should. Um, I, I grew up in a very, even a legalistic setting, um, local church-wise, and I think it was very easy to be put off by this whole idea of obedience after I felt like it was so burnt by legalism and performance and all this. But I realized, too, that Jesus does. He commands us to obey, but getting it in the right context, um, with the right meaning, uh, changes everything and so how do we teach obedience um and looking at how we how we look at obedience the wrong way and then also the right way i'm just gonna come back over here if that's okay Um, this is just a little like graph to show what normally happens and and i think it's not unique to native america but i think it's even more vivid because of what we see there um there is this relative spiritual health. And what I mean by that is many times you have a new believer or someone that just hasn't been in the Word a lot, a baby Christian, um, someone that's not had any kind of intentional Bible training, teaching. The, The information or the knowledge and how it's being applied or the obedience of it are very close, right? It's very relative. There's not a huge divide between those two. But oftentimes when we start training people and equipping people in like a Bible college or a seminary or something like that, even in the local church, when there's intentional teaching, what oftentimes happens is, you can go to the next one, thanks, is this, it's, there's this divide, there's this great separation between information and application. And so there's this relative spiritual dysfunction that really shouldn't be there. And, and this is what we don't want to define as obedience. Just because I do something or go somewhere, I learn something from somewhere, I'm obedience. I am applying truth. Um, we 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 want to see that the greater the gap, like it says, between what we know and how we live, the greater our disobedience. Like We need to see that there's something wrong here. There's a contradiction between when our information goes way up, when we start really studying God's word and applying and and learning about ministry and all this, and yet the application of it, how we're obeying it, how it's changing us, either stays the same or drops sometimes because we're filling our heads so much and yet not worrying about having it change our hearts. And God's word is living. It's powerful and it's got to do that. It's meant for that. I know we all know that here, which is awesome, but this is something that's kind of revolutionary in the native context because unfortunately the information and the externals of Christianity have been brought in as the option to or the alternate to um, native tradition and whether or not the native tradition was right or wrong the tradition has been put to the side the native tradition, and the Christian tradition, whether it be denominationalism or legalism or whatever else, has been brought in. And then what do you have? You have two competing traditions and cultures, not both traditions or cultures fitting into a biblical box or a context. And we've got to fit all of our cultures, all of our perspectives into God's word. And this is where this makes a lot of sense in our context because that's not been presented very consistently or effectively. Um, It's been so much about the externalism, the formalities, and not about the heart issues, knowing something to obey someone um, and to be transformed in that way. So that, that's really relevant to our like our native setting. I think it's I think it's relevant re, uh, relative, relevant to my heart and our hearts too. Okay, and the next one's great. Yeah. <clears throat> so some of the reasons that we we stay away, we shy away from teaching obedience, um, and I'll add another one up there, too. I realized I didn't add one that I wanted. Um, we don't know anything different. Don't know how to teach obedience because it was never modeled to us. And for me, like the bad taste in my mouth, obedience kind of meant, you know, the iron fist coming down on me when I wasn't doing enough. God wasn't happy. God wasn't pleased with me, the Christian. Um, and, and I was in, in danger of losing maybe my salvation, maybe... Um, They'd just be unhappy with who I am, um, but be at least ineffective. And, and it just, it was a wrong perspective of obedience. It was, and we'll, we'll look at the right, I believe the right perspective in just a moment. But a lot of things that are taught or, or modeled that are, that are not God's definition of obedience. Um, and we don't want to take the time because obedience, um, we looked at the Great Commission again and in Matthew, and you guys have been going through the Sermon on the Mount in that way, there was a lot of time that Jesus invested in those disciples. Yes, he went to the multitudes, but the time that he spent was day in and day out, life on life discipleship. Those that were the next leaders that were promised the Holy Spirit, specifically when he would, when Jesus would leave to go back to be with his father, they were the ones that had spent time with him and he had invested in um, for those years as he ministered. And so we can't forget that the obedience, yeah, it's it's harder. It takes time. It's longer. It's it's not as uh, it's not as event oriented. It's not a program. It's it's sharing life in that way, just like Jesus shared His life with His disciples. And we want to be big sometimes more than effective. This is a huge thing on the reservation, at least in our area, where the the uh, the tent revivals and a lot of show and a lot of hype. And yet there's absolutely no no relationships, which is ironic because Native culture is so relationship-centered. It's so key to who they are. And and we in the West, me, my culture at least, does not have that dynamic like theirs does, at least built in. And so to do something that's event-oriented and not as a participant, to include people, to share life and to to get down in the nitty-gritty and... Um, to really spend time with people it doesn 't really make sense it 's not very relevant to the native context. It probably shouldn 't be real relevant to us either, but we can get by with it because we 're used to that event orientation. You bring that into a native context and and you lose a lot of what you 're trying to convey and so that 's really important that it 's many times because obedient, yeah because teaching this heart level obedience is is uh, more focused on an individual it has to be and not about a a group exclusively Um, the whole issue of modernism and rationalism i think just the fact that we've lost a definition of absolute truth so why would we why would be why would we necessarily be compelled to obey something if if truth is so scattered and um, relative if you create your own truth your own reality then then what's obedience? There, there's really nothing to follow. There's really nothing to fall in line with. So that's skewed a lot of our thinking. I mean, this country and the the human condition is plagued with this. And something on the other extreme, um, I feel like the, the, the Protestant Reformation, as much as there was so much good in the area of justification and realizing that we enter heaven by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, when it came to sanctification and discipleship, there was a lot that was maybe missed in all the liturgy and tradition. Again, unfortunately, the tradition is not the answer, whether it's church tradition or native t- tradition or fill in the blank. And I think we see some of the effects of that in missions and, um, and especially, I'm not especially in native the native context, but even when we were in Mongolia, the same thing. It's a human human issue. Let's just look at the next slide that kind of talks about this more. So behavioristic. Discipleship. This is again. This is something we really develop um, at the school and some of these courses, and, and hopefully on a life-on-life basis as well. The problem is, we normally think of discipleship <clears throat> as being all about information or all about conformation. So basically, what I what I do or what I know defines my closeness to God, my walk with Him. And yes, there's a place to know, and yes, there's a place to do, but we've missed a huge piece of the discipleship puzzle in this way. And the more we place our focus on a performance works-driven Christianity, the easier this becomes to have discipleship or spirituality be defined by how much I know or what I do. Um, Go ahead to the next one, and we'll look at some of the Issues that we see in god 's Word too that confronts this the the uh, biblical inaccuracy of behavioristic discipleship it 's all over and just looking at a few instances, um, yeah, go ahead and look at these passages matthew twenty three twenty five through twenty eight <clears throat> 25 through 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inwardly are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness the, the context is Jesus challenging the pharisees the scribes the jewish leadership seven times he says woe like watch out beware something's judgment's coming and it's coming your way for these reasons and, and what he uses to criticize them and to warn them is this issue about knowing a lot. The Pharisees and the scribes knew a lot about Torah, right? About, about the law, about Moses, about the prophets. And they even were looking a certain way that to many looked good. They weren't doing anything wrong um, externally, physically. But where was the issue? <laughs> the issue, it's a given, it's the heart. It's all over this passage. The heart was the issue. That's what had not changed and what had not been sensitive to what God had been doing. And so the Pharisees had fine-tuned their knowledge and behavior. There's our behavioristic view of discipleship, but had wicked hearts. And these were Jesus' fiercest words. In fact, if you go to the book of Galatians and, and other passages, but especially you think of Galatians as being the uh, the church of legalists and, and, and uh, Pharisees that were... We're in a church context, though, in a believing context, and, and yet Paul just hammers them for the sin of this legalism, of having this form of godliness, but not having the power in terms of a, a useful, beneficial, vibrant Christian life based on grace. They were basing it on law and works and performance. I believe these were believers, um, uh, these Judaizers, these these probably former Pharisees, but if nothing else, these legalists. And he is the Paul is the fiercest in Galatians for what they had done to the Christian life. Um, not that he doesn't um, confront issues with people that were just loose and didn't care, like the Corinthians. But his words were really harsh, like Jesus with towards the uh, the Jewish leadership. So it's something that we need to be aware of. And then Luke, um, Luke chapter six, verses forty three through forty five. 43 through 45. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart Brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And again, in principle, and I think it's relevant. You all have been studying, like Gunnar said, through uh, through Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount specifically. This is Luke's equivalent to that. And I believe speaking to the disciples themselves, this is very much a relevant statement about discipleship, disciple-making, a a warning, a challenge to believers. The nature of the tree determines the fruit it produces, but this is where the behavioristic view of discipleship only viewing the externals is, is wrong and is a fallacy to only focus on behavior is to try to change the fruit without changing the tree. And, and, and again, we need to be challenged as believers that it's not just the information we take in and the, the ways that we look and what we do as the definition of our, our walk with the Lord, our, our depth with Him, our Christian life. It's, it's much deeper. It's, a, it's at a heart level. And He fully intends us to go um, deeper with Him in that way and not keep it at that, su- at that superficial level. And this last one, um, Romans 8, I love this. And again, you guys are all about exegetical, expositional teaching, which is awesome. So get all over the context here to uh, bring more light to what we're bringing out here. But in, um, in verse 29, as Paul speaks to the Romans, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and again, the, the the context leads me to believe that we're talking about believers it's a church, and um, and specifically about believers dealing with um, with the power of sin and the sin nature and this battle that's at hand, and yet God has provided the power source for the Christian life, and what does this pre- this predetermining predestining actually point to without getting lost in all the theological discussions i believe in context the predetermining is based on what it says conformity to christ it's it's really nothing more than that it's it's as you can see here if you can see it i'll get out of the way um, the destination of our predestination is our christ likeness our character god cares about what's going on in our lives as his children as his believers as we learn about him and grow close to him, there's changes and there's there's things that take place inside of us on a heart level that he wants, that he's actually determined for us. He wants that to come about. And yeah, it might be speaking of future glory also in terms of the full conformity to Christ, but to reflect that here and now is a huge part of I believe what God is about and what the church needs to be about. And sometimes we get we get lost in in the extremes of the information and not taking that proper information and applying it to our lives. Okay, go ahead the next slide is is up. So, okay, so we had a little more time, but um this part is really cool and I I wish there was more visual for this, but <clears throat> but as we look at the transformational model of discipleship Versus that behavioristic one, very form-oriented, externally oriented. Um, a big difference is understanding that, like the other one, do you remember? It was <clears throat> it was what we knew or what we did defining our discipleship, our Christian life, our sanctification. But on this side of it, the transformational ideal of discipleship really looks. I truly believe throughout scripture is focused more on um, who I am first and that then who I am in Christ driving what I do in life. So by implication, there's, there's an issue about where my heart is and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because like Galatians two twenty, I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith and the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's this idea of who I truly am in Christ. This is what he's done for me. He has transformed me. Now I live out of that position, out of that true identity. And that's how I get to conformity. But in the midst of it, <clears throat> I'm really having to evaluate, boy, I'm, I'm living the way God intended me to live as his child. Like, if I don't look at it at a heart level, I'm missing what he truly intends for a believer, that by nature now, I'm his. I'm in him. My true identity is in him. And so for me to not allow that to impact my heart and live out of who I really am is missing the power behind what he's blessed us with by his grace. And so the challenge is not to just look at information, not just confirmation, but to get it in the right order, to know and to know the right truth, know the truth, the correct information biblically, but then to let it transform our lives and then impact our actions. You can go to the next slide. And it can be described, we've heard it in different ways, but head, heart, and hands, but in that order. And it's so easy to get it out of order. I think Native America, again, it's been so like eye-opening to see how it has been reversed for a long time where it was tradition against tradition. And so if you took if you took the way that native americans did things away by default you could just fill it with biblical ways we do things and it's like wait a minute we've missed the heart change we've missed the the transformation in that way and that's the point that's the challenge okay go ahead the next one so why do we tend to avoid a focus on the heart and we'll just run through these um we had we had informational or behavioristic ministry modeled for us again we don't know better sometimes um, it's messy getting into the area of obedience impacting the hearts, like true application of truth. That's messy. If we really are honest, that means transparency, and so it's it's not something that we gravitate towards. We tend to avoid getting involved in our own life and other people's lives um, to see true transformational change in that way. And and we have an arch enemy built in that's fighting back. Our flesh, our sin nature, doesn't like it at all. Not one bit. And so he's, gonna, he's not going to let it just happen um, <clears throat> by actually dealing with heart issues. And focusing on the heart requires great, greater sacrifice um, of time, of personal attention, of commitment. When we're saying this is what we're about in making disciples, reproducing ourselves in others, that is, that is the harder route. <laughs> it's way harder to sidestep people and say, well, we'll do it for you. We're not really going to teach you how to be disciple makers. And that's what's happened in Native America, that's, that happened in Mongolia, but the history in Native America is huge. And we, we don't want that to happen. We want to stop that cycle so that they're equipped to do this job themselves and to be reaching their own people and mobilized to go elsewhere. And the last one, the heart is the only thing we cannot change without the Holy Spirit. Um, that, would, that would be the reason this is the toughest, because we're now not in control, and the Spirit has got to be in control for this kind of change. We can change what we know. We can change what we do. I change what my kids know and what they do a lot in a certain way when they're naughty. But I can't change where their heart is. I can't change how they think and what they believe. That is their choice. And so for the Holy Spirit to come in and and do that in our hearts as believers is so key. And so when we make it focused, when obedience is focused not on this legalistic idea the 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 uh, formalities and the externals but on the internal issues it changes everything now it's supernatural it doesn't matter what ethnicity i am or what my background is i've got to have him doing it in me and through me and that's so key um that should make it reason enough to think this way to me at least okay so just wrapping it up um i wanted to include these because these are really key to what we're about and what you can be praying for us in um these are some goals that are at IBC and WIM, and we so want to be about this. And I just love them. I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave them out. So w- the first goal is to provide the necessary training for accurate interpretation of God's words so that students develop a biblical worldview and lifestyle of ministry. You can go to the next one. We'll just run through these. And then because the Bible calls us to relationship, relationship to God, our heavenly father through his son, relationship to each other to biblically develop and maintain relational lifestyles and ministries through intentionally modeling, mentoring, and training students with grace and truth. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8 is, is excellent, where Paul says, I didn't just share the gospel with you Thessalonians, I shared my life. And it's this whole idea of relationship that's built into God's word as the way to impact the heart. It's not just happening through information, it's happening through lives investing. And the last one, the last goal that we really want to be about, to cultivate transformational change in the lives of students through the internalization of biblical and relational principles. And again, not to just leave it with biblical truth. It's always the foundation, always where we start, and not to just stop with relationships. Anybody can have a relationship, but to have it really transform and change through the Holy Spirit's power um, as he uses his word. So it's exciting. We're so thankful to have these tools and to be helping, I pray, helping Native America, um, because the potential is awesome, guys. And I mean, you ha- your, your body the body here is so privileged to have so many dynamics. Like, like Gunnar said, it's like everybody's just the body of Christ here, which is awesome. That's what it should be. Like the primary identity is Christ for all of us. But to see how in unique ways that identity comes out in our ethnic identity and our personal identities, it's, it's really a gift. But, we're, but to remember that the foundation is our, is our union with Christ. Um, we just so are excited to see Native America take that and run with it in these settings where they don't need a bunch more tradition laid on them. They have enough of that. But they need biblical truth presented by their own, not necessarily some outsider all the time. Sometimes, yes, but but to see their own transformed and challenged by by God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, it's exciting. So thank you for praying with us. Um, Just with um, some of the things that are on our plate for the summer, if you just keep remembering some of these classes that we want to offer, that we're planning to offer this summer in Albuquerque and on the the Navajo reservation at least. Um, We just are excited to see the students that God would bring for that. We really need prayer because the enemy is at work. He, he has such a stronghold within these places. There's so much that this is not cool to do something outside the box, off the res, or outside the system. And there's a lot of persecution that happens as well with some of these opportunities that are presented that are not native, that might look like the white man. Um, they get a lot of op- opposition. So just that the, those that God wants to be a part of this, to be equipped and trained, would would take full advantage of it. Um, and just for our family at the church, Gunnar mentioned too, we just have a lot that's going on um, with individuals. And uh, Heidi has had some really cool opportunities to disciple some ladies that have really been struggling in some deep heart-level issues that they've really never opened up to anyone about before. And they've been in the Word together and studying, but just... Sharing life as well, and um, just pray for strength in that way. Another thing I didn't mention the first hour. This is exciting. Our little church is made up of a lot of natives, and a couple of them are um, pueblos. And one one couples from a pueblo that is very hostile. You can't. None of the pueblos allow churches on the reservation. But this one, you actually are excommunicated if you leave the native religion. Doesn't matter what it is, Islam, Christianity, doesn't matter. You're out. And so, this wife is from that Pueblo at least. And we're just praying that this little church would raise up their own missionaries to their own people because that is the only way the church will be planted and grow. It's not going to be through a traditional church model, it will have to be in homes, it will have to be among families. And so, just pray for those Pueblo believers. They're in our updates sometimes too by name, but just that they would, yeah, they'd be ready and, and, and equipped for God's. God's potential, what He intends for them, and we're so excited to see see them do what He wants for them, and in a way that's way better than we could ever do. I really believe. So, anyways, thank you for thanks for your attention, for listening. Let's just close in prayer before we close in song. Father, thanks so much for this time, for your grace, Lord, for uh, just your your blessing, your blessing upon blessing that you've given given us through your Son Jesus. Lord, our true identity lying in him, resting in him. Lord, help us all to to step out of that and to live in light of who we truly are before you, Lord. And to not think that it's about what I know or do necessarily that makes us get closer to you and grow with you and be effective. But that you want these truths to impact our heart and to live who we really are. Lord, I pray, just help us in these ways. And I thank thank you for Valley Baptist and just the incredible blessing they've been. Um, over the years it just touches our heart. Thank you for this family that you 're working among and uh, we just look forward to lord all your all your good work that you you perform in us and through us so graciously Lord, thank you so much in jesus' name amen.